Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Generation Ag. A very happy Monday to you if you are listening on release day or uh, a very happy whatever day of the week it is if you're not. Um, I'm super excited to be here. I feel like it's been weeks and it, and it really has been. Vinny has been kicking goals for the team, conducting a whole bunch of interviews the last few weeks while I've been madly taking care of some other things behind the scenes. But I'm glad to be back on the microphones because it just feels like a great chance to download and catch up with you guys. I'm really glad to be bringing you this episode today. I saw this lady's video on Facebook and I just knew I had to sit down and have a chat with her on the phone Um, and it was just a really, really enlightening conversation about what's been going on for farmers as a result of COVID-19 and especially issues surrounding the border closures. So I'm not going to carry on with too much chit chat because I just want to dive right into introducing today's guest. So her name is Rebecca Barry. She's a farmer and her and her partner Matt run a livestock operation at, uh, at their property in Apsley in Western Victoria. They're in a unique position of having two farms that are 500 kilometres apart, one being their grazing property at Apsley and then the other being Matt's fourth generation broadacre cropping family farm at Port Broughton in South Australia on the northern York Peninsula. They split their time between the two farms and love being able to raise their kids on the land. They've been affected by South Australia's hard border closure, particularly after their cross-border permit was cancelled just before they commenced shearing, splitting their family in two and making them decide which farm they could be based at and still maintain and operate two farms effectively. Their story in many ways reflects some of the challenges that have um, affected farmers all over Australia throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and the border closures that have ensued since. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this chat with Rebecca. Here she is. Well, Rebecca Barry, welcome to the Generation Ag podcast. I want to thank you sincerely for taking the time to chat to me tonight on what has been a pretty impromptu uh, organisation of a podcast episode. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. So what we like to do with all of our guests is to start at the beginning. Who are you and what's your connection to agriculture? So my name is Rebecca Barry. I am in my 30s. I'm a mum of two young kids, uh, Oliver, who's three, and Charlotte, who's one. I am a farmer. uh, So my partner, Matt, and I own and run a livestock farm at a little town called Apsley in Western Victoria. Uh, We're in the unique position that uh, we actually split our time between two farms. So our farm at Apsley and Matt's family farm at Port Broughton on the Northern York Peninsula in South Australia. So he is a fourth generation farmer and yeah, we, we juggle our time between the, between the two farms and yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a juggle with our kids, but it's a, a really good environment to, yeah, to raise kids and uh, we're both passionate about the ag industry. So um, yeah, we love what we do. So were you in ag before meeting your husband? Yes, I was. So before I had kids, um, 
Yeah, I actually work in a couple of different roles. So uh, when I left, I studied ag um, through the University of Melbourne. And when I left, I actually worked as an agronomist mm-hmm. for quite a few years. Um, yeah, so I worked in so trial agronomy and a little bit of sales agronomy in the Wimmera in Victoria. And then I had the opportunity to move across into animal health, which when I was studying ag, I never thought that I'd end up <laughs> end up um, working with sheep. It was a time where sheep prices weren't high and, you know, a lot of farmers through the Wimmera were pulling up their fences and, you know, pulling down their shearing sheds and, and the likes, uh, you know, to, to, you know, focus on cropping. And, um, yeah, I got the opportunity to work for an animal health company when they were releasing a brand new... Um, a brand new drench, a brand new sheep drench, which was the first one since the 80s. So I took that opportunity and moved across into animal health. So yeah, my whole my whole working life pretty much has been in in agriculture, and it's only since having kids that I've yeah stepped across onto the other side and become a farmer myself. So yeah, yeah, that's amazing. What about um, before uni though? Did you were you are we off a farm or did you come completely fresh to your degree? Yeah, so I did grow up on a farm. Farming is in my blood. Um, I grew up in the Wimmera in Victoria. My dad had a farm, our family farm, and he was also a shearer. So he still is a shearer even in his sixties. Um, he shears for us here on the farm, but. Yeah, I did grow up around livestock and spent a lot of my weekends or most weekends out and about helping dads, um, yeah, helping dad with shearing and moving sheep and, yeah, out and about doing tractor work and farm work. So I did have that connection and, yeah, it was easy for me to decide, yeah, when I was at school that I wanted to pursue a career in something that I loved. Talk to the listeners about your farming enterprise. Yeah, so our livestock business, that we've got is uh, running merino ewes. Uh, so we use terminal um, rams, so white suffolk rams and pole dorsets for terminal lamb production. Uh, we tend to sell mostly over the hooks into the supermarket trade. Um, but yeah, so it was only a couple of years ago that we started our own business in livestock. Um, before that, it was just purely uh, living and working on Matt's family farm at Port Broughton, which is all broad acre cropping, so wheat, barley, lentil rotation. Um, but it's, we decided that we wanted to diversify the business a little bit. And, um, yeah, with me not wanting, oh, I did want to return back to work, but just the juggle of the role that I was doing previously with the sheer amount of travel that I was doing every year was just too hard with little kids. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, what's a better way to, yeah, to sort of help grow the farm business and also, yeah, give me another challenge in becoming hands-on on on the farm. And that's when we, yeah, we started our own livestock business, which is worked in conjunction with Matt's family farm, but it's our own little side business as well. So, yeah. So, and at the Port Broughton farm, um, we also cut vetch and oats for hay as well. So it tends to work in quite well with the two the two businesses. Yeah. Wow. Um, how, what sort of land size are we talking about? Um, and a number of stock. I mean, because we, you know, we've got listeners from all over the country, and some farms in some areas seem really big, and then when you go to another area, that same land size isn't so big. So maybe share that with us as well. Yeah, so Matt's family farm um, is on the, on the at Port Broughton is uh, just under five thousand acres. So um, 
a lot of that is lease country as well. So, um, yeah, so there's a mix of own country and lease country there as well. Um, and then we have bought um, the farm at Apsley here is 1,300 acres. So, yeah, we run on that around about sort of 1,800 ewes, um, merino ewes at this stage. So, yeah. Awesome. And you've been sharing all week. How's that been going? <laughs> yeah, we have been. So, um, so we've sheared for about five days. Um, and due to COVID, our shearing this year is a little bit different to how we would usually do it. So usually um, I'd be in the shearing shed and I'd be, yeah, obviously helping with moving sheep around and, um, you know, classing wool and all that sort of thing. But because of COVID, um, Matt's parents haven't been able to come across the border with the restrictions and especially with all of the restrictions changing. So I've had to uh, go into the kitchen. So the poor shearers are putting up with my cooking <laughs> for this week. And, um, yeah, so my role has changed. But we're very fortunate that uh, both of our kids um, with their grandparents so um, yeah so I'm able to, to do the cooking and we've got the help of uh, of my dad helping Matt in the shearing shed but so far it's going good we've dodged the rain and um, <laughs> yeah which, which has been good so yeah so far it's going good touch, touch wood. And how's the season going in general? Um, Paul Broughton it was looking quite dry um, and we've got quite a bit of rain in the last uh, fortnight which is yeah, is helping with the with the crops a lot up there. So things are actually looking quite good given the season. And the same here at Apsley, it's actually been very dry compared to what it usually would be, particularly during the winter rainfall hasn't been there. So um yeah, so things are starting to look good and we're just hopefully counting on the Lanina coming through that they keep talking about. So that would be lovely if that comes to fruition. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So We've got you on today to talk to us about some of the cross-border issues you've been experiencing as a result of COVID-19. But before we get into maybe some of those issues, let's go back to basics for people who are unfamiliar with what's been going on. How far apart are your farms located and, and why has this been an issue? So our main farm, um, the one that I call our main farm because that's where our address is, uh, is Port Broughton, so Matt's family farm. So that is two hours north of Adelaide on the tip of the York Peninsula. Mm -hmm. And our farm at Apsley is in Western Victoria. So um, as the crow flies from Narracourt in the southeast of South Australia, it's only, um, you know, 25 kilometres out to Apsley. And we're only about seven kilometres as the crow flies from the South Australian Victorian border. So, yeah, so there's about 500 kilometres between, between our farms. Mm. And how often would you usually travel between the two farms? Because the work is quite seasonal at both farms, um, we tend to travel, yeah, obviously when the work is needed. So the times that it really overlaps is with lambing and with seeding at Port Broughton. So um, how we usually juggle it is Matt and his dad do the seeding and myself and my dad, um, yeah, look after the lambing. So mm -hmm. it just depends on the time of the year and where we're sort of, um, where we're at and where the workload is um, but we probably between farms we'd probably travel at least sort of once a fortnight every three weeks Matt probably a little bit more often but 
um, at the moment we're based down at our farm in Apsley because our kids go to childcare in Narracourt. Oh, when 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 they're allowed when we're allowed to cross the border, they go to childcare in Narracourt, which enables me to be able to do the farm work here at Apsley. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the impact of COVID now on your ability to move between your properties. Maybe start with you know, what it was like back sort of when COVID first hit and when the borders first closed to what's happened since then. So we've been dealing with the border closure since March. Uh, the day that the border restrictions were introduced, we were down at our absolute farm and, yeah, we, um, we presented at the cross-border checkpoint. We explained our story, explained that we were farmers uh, and the process was quite simple. They took our our license, um, our story, and yeah, they processed, they, they gave us a hard copy piece of paper. Um, and we've been using that piece of paper right up until last Saturday when our, um, when our border permit was cancelled. But the cross-border direction has changed quite a few times. We're now up to the 13th directive. Uh, so it's changed mm. quite, a, quite a few times in, in the last few months um, in varying ways. But yeah, um, so in July, uh, the restrictions were tightened even further. So South Australian residents were told that they had to return home um, and Victorian residents, unless you were essential or cross-border, were no longer able to travel into South Australia. So in mm-hmm. July, the restrictions really did get a lot tighter. Um, and then, yeah, as COVID cases are rising in Victoria, we were quite worried. We... Um, mm. Yeah, we weren't sure on how it was going to go and we were pretty much living from press conference to press conference waiting for waiting for it to change. And, mm-hmm. yeah, last week, uh, yeah, last Friday it did change, or the Friday before it did change. So, um, yeah, so the week leading up to the cross-border direction, which is the 12th edition, <laughs> um, yeah, that was, the, that was when the quite severe restrictions came in. So that just meant that... Uh, cross-border residents were no longer able to travel across the border unless they were a primary producer um, or essential workers like transport, etc. Mm-hmm. And so what happened for you when the hard border closure came into effect on Saturday? What, what was the really drastic change for you guys practically? What did that mean? Yeah, so leading up to when when it was being introduced, we we were very unsure of what what category, I guess, we fit into and how it would work for us. It's, mm. uh, childcare for me is really important, especially when Matt is back at Port Broughton, Spain and um, doing his farm work up there, that I can't have the kids with me, you know, when I'm in the tractor or doing sheet work um, mm. because they're young and, you know, was dangerous and the like mm. and um, so I was really worried about how that would affect us because we were hearing that um, the two categories either a cross-border traveller or a, an essential worker traveller didn't include children in that it was purely going to be just mm. the adults and no kids so we were very unsure so leading up to when the restrictions came in I had actually applied as an essential worker thinking well I just would write on there um you know, all of our details and our farms and includes all of the information that we could. 
And I got a phone call after I had submitted it the next morning just to say that it was no worries, our cross-border permit that we'd been using since March was fine and we weren't going to have any issues and um, we could still maybe travel with our kids. But at that stage, we just thought, well, that's fine. If we can't travel with the kids, we'll just get through that and get around that for a couple of weeks. Uh, You know, as they were talking, that was going to be imposed for. But, yeah, when we arrived at the checkpoint on the Saturday, the police officer there asked where Port Broughton was, which was our address on our license. And, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he rang his supervisor in Adelaide and that was when we were told that we didn't fit that category of being a cross-border resident because our address was more than 40 kilometres from from the South Australian border. Mm. And so, obviously, there's a series of decisions that comes after that. What are, what are the, some of the things that you're now having to consider as a farmer with a family? Yeah, it's quite hard. <laughs> um, on the Saturday, we were given the option we could turn around and go back to our farm at Apsley or we could go into South Australia on the proviso that once we left, we weren't able to return again. Mm-hmm. So we had left for the day. We were just going in to do some shopping so I could do some cooking uh, in leading up to shearing and... So we didn't have any clothes with us. We didn't have any of um, my son Oliver's toys. We didn't have anything to, you know, to go back to Port Broughton and stay. Um, so we made the decision that we went down to Mount Gambia, which is a, a bigger shopping centre about an hour south of Maricourt. Uh, we had to go down there to buy some some bread because we're pedantic about the type of bread we buy. And um, we drove down there and we literally just went to a playground and sat there and just thought we just we, we actually didn't know what we were going to do because we were due to start shearing on the Monday, but because of the rain, it looked like it was going to be pushed back. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't sure what we were going to do with our kids at that stage because knowing that the borders were going to be shut on that. Thursday night, Friday morning, we had already taken our daughter Charlotte up to Matt's parents mm-hmm. um, so she could be looked after up there, knowing that we didn't have childcare. Um, and so she was 500 kilometres away back at the other farm and here we were with Ollie and we weren't sure, you know, if we crossed back over then we couldn't, you know, return to South Australia and if something happened to Charlotte, you know, we wouldn't be able to get across you know, for her either. So there were so many things that were going through our minds and it got to a point. We ended up ringing the Sapole Assessment Centre in Adelaide, which is where they determine, um, you know, they approve your, your permit. And we just, we told, we explained our situation and we and we said, you know, that we were starting shearing and that we had livestock that we couldn't leave unattended and we had our farms and our kids were split up and the response that we got was get someone else to check our livestock for us in Victoria. (laughs) And Mm. it was at that point we thought, well, we didn't have any other option other than returning back to our farm at Apsley, crossing over the border and just end up knowing how long it would take to, yeah, to get our approval as an essential traveller approved. Um, And the the issue with applying as an essential traveller is that you have to apply before three weeks before intended travel. So you mm. have to submit a COVID risk mitigation plan and, yeah, and have all of your paperwork and that should be submitted three weeks before travel. So it was looking like at that point that, yeah, it was going to be three point, three weeks before we could we could travel. 
Yeah, wow. And so for you, it's you're staring down the barrel of, you know, three weeks separated from one of your children as well. So the week before leading up to when the restrictions were going to be changed, uh, we were very unsure of whether our kids would be able to travel across the border and back. So we actually looked into renting a property in South Australia just so that we could live there during, live there at night and then purely drop our kids off to childcare in Narracourt and then just drive across the border ourselves to be able to do the farm work and return back so our kids didn't actually have to cross the border. So when on that Saturday night when we had been told that we no longer sit the cross-border category, we changed our address to the property that we had engaged in renting and, yeah, went through the process of, yeah, applying under a different category just so that we could fast-track our, our application and be able to travel back into South Australia. Mm. I'm just, I'm, it's crazy how, you know, just some really high level decisions can have a massive impact on, on people such as yourselves. How, how has it felt for you with all of these decisions having such a huge impact and, and being completely out of your control? I mean, in that moment, you're probably feeling helpless. We did. We actually did feel helpless and we felt, yeah, I can't even describe how we felt because we felt unheard because we explained our situation at the border checkpoint and we explained our situation to Saypol on the phone and we just, we weren't getting anywhere. And Saypol have been fabulous. They really have at the border checkpoint. So all of the police officers that we've dealt with on a daily basis, um, you know, are fantastic. And they themselves don't, um, you know, fully understand the restrictions that have changed a lot mm. as well. So, you know, it's hard work on them trying to interpret the restrictions and, yeah, and sort of trying to fit us into categories and understand our situations. So, mm. yeah, we, we felt we, we just, we genuinely just felt really helpless and we we felt we really did feel unheard and and I think that's a lot of what, made us um you know think that we needed to get our story out there mm. knowing that you know perhaps we weren't the only people that were going through something similar mm. well speaking of getting your story out there you posted a video to facebook on the 23rd of august that really kind of blew up first describe to us what the response has been like <laughs> uh, the video is funny because we yeah we <laughs> we don't um we don't love a lot of attention. We share mm. photos of our kids and our lives and mm. and the likes on social media, but we don't love having attention, especially media attention. So mm. um, I remember saying to Matt, I said, I think we need to do a video and really get our message out there and not for the media, but just we wanted to be heard and we wanted to be able to connect with other people in our who are in our situation. And, mm. you know, there are people that are going through far worse than what we are. And we thought, right, the, the politicians who are making these decisions need to, need to hear our voices and particularly people who, um, you know, are sitting on the fence. There are a lot of South Australians who don't want the borders open or and like the, the tougher restrictions. And mm. it was just about trying to explain our situation with, you know, we don't want the borders open and we think that SAPOL are doing a fantastic job. We just felt like we wanted the restrictions to be workable so that people like us 
project their stock and, and do our farm work. So, yeah, so we, we discussed making a video and I suggested to Matt that he probably should do it because he talks a lot better than what I do and he just did not want a bar of it at all. But I went across to the shear and shed and I just had my little say and put it on face and put it on Facebook and, um, yeah, and then, yeah. And then it went public and the message just started. So, yeah. Um, for all of our listeners as well, we will, we will share that video to our Facebook page so you can all see it. But um, what what are some of the responses? Have there been other producers coming out and saying, thank you so much, you know, we're in the exact same situation? And, and what has the response been from people who've maybe seen it who are from a city or um, not familiar with farming? Yeah, so the cross-border community um, jumps on board straight away and, yeah, and we're hugely supportive. They, yeah, farmers sharing similar situations, similar stories. A lot of farmers who had, uh, who, who have properties either side of the border or or whose properties, you know, cover both sides of the border and they're having issues with, you know, going back roads to, to check their stock or to do farm work and being pulled over and, yeah, and questioned about where they're going and what they're doing. So every the farmers' everyday lives are really being impacted on how they'd usually go about their business in cross-border communities. And there have been so many farmers that have been affected on both sides. Um, at one stage, Victorian farmers weren't sure if they were even able to get into South Australia Mm. Uh, you know, when the rules were vice versa. So us being South Australian residents, we're allowed to go into Victoria, but at one stage, Victorians weren't allowed to go onto their South Australian farms. So, yeah, so people have been impacted in a huge amount of ways and it's not just farmers, it's, you know, it's students. Our local school in Apsley was split in two uh, with their students and, you know, people trying to access, uh, you know, healthcare is just, some of the stories are just absolutely heartbreaking with, you know, of communities being divided. And I think it's the first time that it's ever happened where, you know, we usually all see ourselves as one and then all of a sudden, yeah, just having a hard border just completely splits that. And the impact isn't just on Victorians, South Australians and, and the South Australian businesses have had a huge impact as well. Mm. I want to, I'm just trying to think where I want to go next. Um, what... Many, including yourself, would say that the issue here is a is a really clear urban rural divide. And and I mean, as as people who work in agriculture and rural industries, you know, it's something we come up up against every day. And we're all very familiar um, with the lack of understanding of politicians and bureaucrats around those industries in our work. I want to ask you. I mean, we get on we get on social media a lot, or we get angry a lot about. Um, that that divide and I guess I want to ask someone in your position what you feel like the answer is in this situation what would you like to have seen happen to have made this whole process so much less stressful for you yeah I don't love the you know the us and them mentality Mm. that some country people have like I don't think that I don't see ourselves as any different. I just mm. think that, um, you know, as I don't understand people's lives in cities, perhaps they don't understand what we do in the country yeah. either. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I just think that it's that lack of maybe understanding and maybe education. And I think that's what us as farmers have a responsibility for is to to tell our stories and, 
and you know share out what goes on on the farm and and you know consumers now love that traceability they love knowing where their food comes from and where it's sourced and you know how it's treated whether it's ethical or not and I think that that's our role and I think that's a really important um yeah important it's going to be important into the future is yeah is telling our stories and and sort of bridging that gap between city and country um and i think i think from the border perspective i really do think that the decisions made were made you know with the intention with good intentions of protecting the state against um you know against COVID and I think that South Australia have done a fabulous job of that and I agree with the border restrictions. I just think that the hard um the hard directive that was introduced was just made by someone who doesn't understand the, the just how intertwined our communities are and mm-hmm. I just I felt left down in terms of you know, I really think that our state agricultural ministers should have been our voices and our representatives and, you know, and, and even the industry groups as well to just assess people like us on a, on, a base, on a case-by-case basis or to just be available for, you know, there are a lot of farmers who don't have access to, you know, to the internet. They don't understand, um, you know, computers. And, you know, I can think of a lot of farmers that, wouldn't comprehend with all of these new restrictions that have come in and the process around getting permits and the like. And I just think that, yeah, maybe if there was some local support and, yeah, and maybe some local ways that you were able to, you know, to get to tell your story and, you know, and get your get your situation assessed maybe on a case-by-case basis would have mm. been received a lot better than what perhaps, yeah, but just the hard, the hard line and, yeah, how that was received maybe yeah yeah I think it's it's a it's certainly a learning experience for everybody but um I think there's some massive challenge there's so many you know I've spoken to so many people especially about harvest labor and those sorts of things like you know completely uh I guess you can argue whether or not those things should have been anticipated those challenges uh but completely maybe something that us as everyday citizens would just never think about until you speak to someone like yourself and just go, oh, my gosh, we all think we've had a hard time (laughs) during COVID, but then you speak to someone like you or, you know, um, I know farm owners in here in WA who who lost their harvest workers or their seeding workers, sorry, overnight because they decided they wanted to go back to the city and receive the job seeker payment and all those sorts of things. So there's been so many unintended consequences and this whole year has just been, uh, excuse me for saying, but I guess a shitstorm of of things that people are just fighting, fighting things left, right and centre. And I guess it's kind of exhausting, but also it's been nice to see it be a really uniting thing for our industry as well. Do you feel like, um, yeah, you talked about the community before. Do you feel like as an industry, agriculture is really banded around each other? And yeah, yeah, I really do think that agriculture is, has bound together. And I think, um, you know, the stories that we hear, you know, that are completely ridiculous about putting hay on a plane and freighting it from Melbourne to, yeah. to Sydney and, and moving sheep the same way. And like, I think that, I think that, you know, as, as silly as it is, I think that it has really shed a light on, uh, you know, what people in the country are going through and, and yeah, and that, COVID is affecting people in different ways. So although us in regional areas aren't in the hard stage for lockdowns that 
the Melbourne, uh, you know, we're, we're being affected in, in different ways, as is everyone. So, um, yeah, I think that it's, yeah, it has helped bridge that gap. And I think probably the biggest thing is that mental health in rural areas is just so huge. And it's something that I'm passionate about after losing, um, you know, friends to suicide. And, um, you know, I just, I just think that we, even, you know, even when we get to a point where our borders are open and, and we're not dealing with this, I think what we've been through just in dealing with the borders, and it's not just farmers, it's, you know, all of our rural communities along the border mm. that they've been impacted by, you know, having young kids that haven't been able to go to school, whether it's, you know, someone who hasn't been able to access, you know, the, the healthcare or, you know, whether it's an elderly farmer who, you know, who lived in the area his whole life and then all of a sudden is told that he can't, cross that dotted line you know we really have to look out for each other's mental health and I think that mm. the flow and effect is, from this is going to be far greater than mm. yeah than any you know potential COVID issues that we're dealing with in our rural areas. Yeah I really love that you brought that up because um that's it isn't it like um there's certainly been a bit of a spotlight on the whole the mental health element to the COVID lockdowns and things, but I don't, I, I don't think that people think about that and how it applies in rural industries. Um, and I loved, um, Kate McBride was on Q&A earlier in the week and, or would be last week, last Monday, by the time everyone hears this episode. Um, and she was saying about how, you know, everyone is getting red hot about mental health issues now because it's happening to people in the cities, this isolation, this, lack of connectedness, this um, inability to be in social groups is affecting everyone in the city now and it's a really huge problem. They're realising, like, oh, my gosh, these mental health issues are really important, not not taking into account that this is how people in rural Australia have lived their whole lives is is under these pressures of social isolation and, yeah, I just think it's, it's, if there's one good thing to come out of it, I hope that there's that, that building of empathy between people in the city beginning to maybe think about what it's like for people in the rural areas as well. Absolutely. And I think that it's really important to make sure that we're, particularly for people like us who who have gone through, you know, all of the the cross-border issues right along all of the borders, not just the South Australian Victorian border, Mm. to keep an eye on our neighbours and our friends. And, you know, this is, I can't even explain how big of an impact this has had on us and our family unit. And it's not just our immediate family unit, you know, it's had an impact on our parents who have picked up the pieces with, um, you know, with our kids. And Mm. yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, and it's so much more than, you know, it's so much more than, yeah, we just we really do have to look after one another and just make sure that we're okay and we all know that farmers are reluctant to talk especially male farmers and <laughs> I think that yeah we, we we do have yeah have a responsibility to look after each other and mm. make sure that we're we're okay mm. so what's come out of you post a video what's come out of it for you have you been able to figure out a workaround or are you still just using your rental property as as your workaround for the crossing the border situation yeah so uh so we are using our rental property as a cross-border uh as a cross-border resident so um yeah so that's how that's going to have a a financial cost to us and our business Mm. um 
but yeah, and and as far as our essential worker application is going, uh, that is that is still pending. I need to submit some more paperwork and mm-hmm. yeah, and jump through a few more hurdles before that is approved. So, but I do we do need to get that approved because you know this might continue on for however you mm. know however long and. Um, yeah, we don't want to end up in the same situation that we were given that, you know, we were shearing and we were really under a time constraint and, yeah, yeah we had to go down a different path. So, yeah, so that, that, is, still, that is still pending. <laughs> and what about um, your daughter? Like, is she able to come to that rental property or how does that work? Yeah, she is. So she, uh, just given that we weren't able to access childcare, uh, she is with Matt's parents at Port Broughton. So, yeah, once we're finished sharing sort of mid-next week, late next week, yeah, we'll, she will come back. And now that um, the border restrictions have eased again, we'll be able to access childcare. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, um, yeah, life for us sort of returns a little bit to normal. We're able to access childcare again. But I think after what we've been through in the last couple of weeks and the stress, I think we might even take some time off and, yeah. <laughs> have a few days to myself, I think, well-deserved. I think that's definitely wise. Um, The last question we always ask, Rebecca, is if people want to get in touch with you, you know, where can they go? Or if, um, you know, they want to learn more about your story or, um, yeah, I guess connect over a common common situation or interest, how how can they do that? Yeah, so... um, so I've got an Instagram account, which is raising our kids on the land, which is where I just share photos of not me because I don't like being in the limelight, but <laughs> just our um, our lives and our kids and, you know, and the fantastic opportunity we have of being able to raise our kids on the land in an industry that we love. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I just share photos on there. And, um, yeah, um, if people would like to message me on Facebook, welcome to do that as well. Or our email is mcdonaldgraving at gmail.com if anyone would like to get in contact. Awesome. Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you sharing your story and, and jumping on because I'm sure it's um, witching our bed and bath time at home. So really grateful for you coming on and sharing your story. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.